One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today I have Seth Keller from Tokenizer with me. Seth, how are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, thank you for making the time. And this is a subject that we've gone into before that I'm personally fascinated by. I think it will disrupt the entire commercial real estate private equity industry at some point. And so I'm curious to, to dig in a little bit more, maybe as context setting, if you could describe what Tokenizer is today and maybe what it aspires to be and what your role within the organization is. Yeah, sure. So I'll start off with my role. So I'm the director of business development and investments at Tokenizer. Um, And Tokenizer is a full service end-to-end platform that offers tokenization of any real world asset. Um, And what that means is we can take a venture capital fund, a real estate fund, a real estate projects, uh, hedge funds, um, and we bring them on chain, meaning onto the blockchain and tokenize the assets. So a very simple example would be if you were to raise a hundred million dollar VC fund, we can issue a hundred million tokens that are worth $1 each. And we would have a primary uh, capital raise to, to sell those hundred million tokens to the market. Um, and those tokens would derive their value from the underlying asset, which is the venture capital fund. So I, I think we kind of hear these terms and we don't necessarily understand exactly what they mean. So I'm a big fan of trying to go slow. Mm-hmm. When you say tokenize, what does that mean? So the act of tokenizing is putting the, the ownership interest into a smart contract um, and primarily it would be an ERC 20 token or in our case we're actually on the Binance smart chain now 
So it's a BEP20 token. And it's same structure as the other cryptocurrencies that you may be familiar with. So it's interchangeable on a secondary exchange. But really, the ownership interest is in a token format. Uh, kind of, it's, it's similar to, say, if you owned a share of Apple stock. You know, it says one in, in your Charles Schwab account. And if you have one token of the venture capital fund that we're tokenizing, that token, as opposed to, to the stock that we're talking about, is actually interchangeable or exchangeable on a secondary exchange. So, Why is that any different than, so for instance, in my business, we have a specialty purpose vehicle entity LLC. Every deal, you know, stands apart from others. It's a single asset type transaction. And there's a table one or a schedule one, which has my capital stack and my limited partners, my investors have assigned a certain ownership interest within that LLC. Why would those ownership interests on paper be any different than what you're describing tokenizing them? Right. So the main, the main attraction, especially for these funds that we're talking about, like your real estate funds, is liquidity. So in a lot of cases, I'm not going to speak about your fund, but a lot of cases, an investor will be locked up for seven to 10 years plus. In the case of tokenization, if we do a normal Reg D offering, there would be a one-year lockup period. And after that, those tokens would be exchangeable on the secondary market. So I mean, liquidity is the name of the game when it comes to, especially private markets, right? So if you're able to invest in a real estate fund um, and then access that liquidity a year and a half, two years later when you need it, that, that's really the, the major benefit that we're offering. You're, you're taking this paper interest, tokenizing it. In other words, putting it onto this blockchain technology, which then enables people to, you know, hopefully eventually, not even really... I don't think of it as accessing liquidity because there are existing secondary markets where you can exchange LP interests. Yeah, it's more about increasing the liquidity and that speed of transaction, right? Or the ease yeah. of transaction. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, without all the paperwork, now you can exchange the token, which is your ownership interest in the fund in a matter of minutes. And these underly- underlying blockchain technologies, Ethereum, Binance, et cetera, just are the are the, the rails that allow for these transactions to occur, correct? That you build yeah, exactly. that you build your software on top of? Yeah, exactly. And does this, your platform, does it work for any private investment? Uh, it does, yeah. Yeah, so it works for any, any private investment. Real estate, art, private equity, venture, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. There's actually a really interesting use case um, launching in four days on October 18th. It's called Klima DAO. Um, and what they're doing is tokenizing carbon credits. So they're buying verified carbon credits from Vera, which is a platform that, that sells carbon credits. Um, they're purchasing those and then bringing them on chain uh, and putting it into their decentralized autonomous organization, which is another story, but basically they're tokenizing carbon credits. So the opportunity is really endless. Right. And when you think about this platform, what you're doing with this movement towards, you know, I don't like this term because I think it's overused, but democratization of, of access, but really the fractionalization of ownership interest of both real assets and investment assets, you're trying to be a marketplace to help facilitate all of those transactions and take advantage of this theme that you're seeing play out, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, 
ideally you would have your account on tokenizer um, and you can see all of your ownership, right? So you're owning, you own a token in Excelsior Capital. Um, you own a token in a venture capital fund. So you can have everything in, in one platform. And then there would also be a secondary exchange within the same platform. Right. So that's what I want to learn more about is sure. your pitch is kind of end to end marketplace dynamic. So you're helping yeah. tokenize these initial investments, but you're also helping to facilitate capital raising and then also, you know, eventually having a secondary liquidity market, right? All right. in one place. Yeah, exactly. Could you maybe talk about how they all kind of interact with one another? And, and I assume they all support one another as well in terms of this kind of flywheel concept that we see playing out a lot. Yeah, definitely. So I'll run through the life cycle of what it would, what it would be like. Um, so say we're, we're tokenizing a, a real estate fund. We, we create an SPV that, that invests in the real estate funds, and then we would tokenize those interests. And all those tokens would be administered to the LPs within their tokenizer account. And then once, you're, once you have those tokens in your account on tokenizer, there's another part of tokenizer on the platform where you can exchange those tokens for um, whatever pairing we have. So uh, Excelsior by uh, USDC, right? The USD, US dollar stable coin. That's the idea. So it's a launch pad and an exchange and a fundraising platform. So once we, once we have, uh, stepping back a little bit, once we have the Excelsior listing or primary issuance on the website, we open it up on our launch pad for investors to come in and uh, allocate capital towards it. This is where things get really kind of interesting or complicated depending on what you see you're in. Right. As the sponsor, right? Somebody who is pitching and raising around that opportunity your secondary marketplace is a value proposition that I can use, correct? But then you're also acting as a intermediary facilitator, broker, dealer, whatever regulatory compliance term we need to put on it to help speed up the capital raising as well, correct? Yes. And we have third-party partners that are going to, that we will collaborate with on, on most of those things. So we're not a broker dealer ourselves. Right. So you, you partner with somebody who is a BD that has, you know, a broader distribution channel that they can tap into. Yeah, exactly. And how is this, I mean, who's the regulatory oversight? Is there regulatory oversight here? What does the compliance look like from your perspective? Obviously you're, yeah. you're laying off some of that risk because you're partnering with established BDs that can take care of everything, et cetera. But as a sponsor, this is where this world gets really interesting to me because even in our space, we have folks that hear about me on a podcast or a webinar through LinkedIn and we have to kind of verify them, right? So set up a phone call. There's, there's know your customer KYC issues. They're anti-money laundering issues, AMLA, um, et cetera. How do you guys think about that from the sponsor perspective, but also as this platform that's helping to facilitate all of these deals happening? Right. So, so we are going by the book uh, when it comes to everything, when it comes to SEC regulations. So we'll primarily be doing Reg D 506C uh, and some 506B offerings. Uh, full KYC is necessary. So for, for Reg D 506C, uh, you'll have to approve that you're an accredited investor to, to get in on the deal. 
and and that's how we're doing it for everything. So everything's going to be going by the book. Right. And, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's the right answer. But that's also a moving target because the book seems to be changing. Right. And your risk level is going to be commensurate with, to some extent, the relationship you have with that sponsor. So how do you think as a marketplace about growing your sponsor relationships, but then also your investor relationships? Right. So I think the, the sponsor relationships is something that will come naturally. Um, there's millions of funds out there in the private market that are trying to raise capital and it's not always that easy. So they need a platform such as tokenizer. Um, and if they come in now while tokenization is still in its infancy, it's a great benefit to them. Um, in terms of investor onboarding, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, I believe. Um, but once it does happen, I think it's going to be a snowball effect. Uh, so, I mean, in my opinion, everything will be tokenized eventually. Um, it's just a matter of time. So once, once investors are comfortable with their investments being uh, on the blockchain and in a token format, I think that's all it takes. And then uh, from there, it's just going to be, it'll take off and everyone's going to be involved. Yeah, but... I agree with you. I think this digitization and fractionalization of asset ownership early innings, but it's clearly the direction the entire industry is heading. Right. Um, yeah, it's all about comfortability. Blockchains are an accepted word and cryptocurrency is becoming an accepted word now too. And then once everyone's comfortable with tokenization. So right, but it's, but it's, it's a, and I think I have this right, but this is where there can be some confusion with LPs and, and sponsors. Mm -hmm. This tokenization of these ownership interests, they could certainly, you could certainly on the secondary market or as an initial investment, use crypto as the medium of exchange, but they don't have to, right? I mean, we could still talk about true hard American cash dollars, right? Yeah, definitely. Right. So they're two separate things. Yeah, yeah. And when you talk about a smart contract, this is that trust business that we both have to establish, right? Me as a sponsor and then my investors and then you as a marketplace. Mm -hmm. How does the, the smart contract interact with the blockchain and help facilitate the ease of transaction that you're talking about? Uh, yeah, so I can't really get into the technicals of how the smart contract is built. Um, but essentially everything is built into that smart contract initially. Um, and if it makes more sense to like, if you practice it, right. So if you've ever used uh, a smart contract before or cryptocurrency before, they're always set to do what they're meant to do, if that makes sense. So the security tokens will always be tied to their base asset and tied back to the SPV where where that money is custodied, if that makes sense. Right. So it's, it's almost like one of the analogies that I draw is what we've been seeing play out within the, and I'm going to talk about real estate, within the crowdfunding space, which is, you know, they are, they are trying to be the same type of marketplace, right? Where they have this huge mass affluent retail investor base. They have these talented sponsors and this is classic, marketplace challenge of, okay, well, how do you marry 
the user with the product and they're helping to, to bring them together. That's kind of how I view you all. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a real estate, there's red Swan real estate, which is doing tokenization of just real estate. That's an interesting platform as well. Hmm. I don't know them. Um, so obviously this is a burgeoning space. There's a lot of, um, a lot of excitement, but also um, a lot of confusion. You know, I've got to ask to get to the personal, which I usually intro with the personal, but I wanted to jump right into what you all are doing. Right. What motivated you to move away from kind of more mainstream Wall Street banking into what is really a, a tech finance company? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I spent my career or early career, I should say, in corporate investment banking. I did that for five years. Um, and in early 2021, I decided, actually in late 2020, I decided I wanted to do something different. Um, and I was interested in the cryptocurrency space since about early 2017. Um, you know, my two of my friends introduced me to Ethereum. Uh, that was the first thing I knew. And I said, why not? Let's give it a shot. Um, so I got in quite early on Ethereum and then I lost <laughs> most of that money in the 2018 ICO cycle of all, all coins. Uh, and I lost interest really in the space for a while. Um, and then with the COVID crisis, that, uh, that interest came back and people started talking about it again. That's probably the primary reason. Um, and I realized that this is the next frontier in a sense, right? Um, and I wanted to get involved somehow. This is what I was like actually very interested in. And I was trying to, late 2020, I was figuring out what I wanted to do and what I was really interested in to, to get involved with. Um, so I started getting into Web3 and DeFi, researching that stuff. Uh, I found tokenization and then I found tokenizer, which was the platform that had, that was an end-to-end -end platform, which really attracted me. Um, and they have DeFi aspects to it too, which, uh, yeah, down the road, we'll, we'll add those features into the platform as well. But um, I found that and I, I talked to the CEO and founder and found a role for myself. And that's when I left banking. Um, but really the, the, main, the main catalyst is that I, I don't know if I found out early in my career or late in my career that what I really wanted to do was something that interested me instead of uh, collecting a, a solid paycheck every two weeks. Um, and for me, it was, it was this. So I took a shot and I'm about six months into to this role now. And I'm loving it so far. And the future looks very bright for the whole tokenization space and hopefully tokenizer. So I am where I want to be now and uh, we'll see how it plays out. So along those lines, what what makes you really excited about not just your role within the enterprise, but just the the ecosystem that you all are building and what you see moving forward? And then the flip side, what scares you? What are risks? What are the headwinds that you all are dealing with every day? Yeah, sure. So what really excites me is, I guess, the the unknown and also the potential. So like I said before, I see it as the new frontier. And it's something that, um, you know, generations sometimes usually don't think that they can, can get involved in what the next frontier is. 
So if you were in the, the tech bubble in the late 1999, 2000, right? That was the, the next frontier technology. Um, and for me, what I believe it is, is cryptocurrency and how blockchain technology is going to revolutionize the financial world. So that's what really excites me. This particular use case is connecting um, real world assets with the blockchain cryptocurrency space. Uh, and the opportunity is really endless, like I spoke of before. I mean, there's so many use cases that um, I think are further down the line, but are incredibly realistic and also very exciting. We can get into that later too. Um, but really it's the, it's the uh, idea of a new, the next frontier and the new, the new thing. Um, whereas like there's a clear vision for me at least that all of these venture capital funds and real estate funds and hedge funds can be tokenized and most likely will be tokenized. So it's being able to see that and being able to work towards it is what really excites me. And on the, on the flip side, the things that worry me um, definitely go back to the, the regulatory aspect. Like I said, we're, it's, we're playing them as securities because they are securities, um, but you never know what can happen in the regulatory space. I mean, we have lawyers on our team who deal with this stuff uh, and we talk to almost every day. As long as we're following the SEC guidelines, then everything's going to be okay. But you don't know exactly what can happen down the road. And also, it's not it's not one hundred percent clear right now for security tokens where the regulatory landscape is. So I guess that's the that's the fear that I have. But I I do think it'll work out. What do you find the biggest challenge today is when you're pitching sponsors like me? Is it educating the sponsor about how this all works and the terminology and the and the than the tech component of it? Or is it their hesitancy to try to have to, for the, is it the hesitancy of the sponsor to then have to go try to explain to their current LP base about how this all works? Yeah, um, I think it's actually neither. I explained the regulatory landscape to, to them to make sure that uh, sponsors understand that is the first thing that I have to deal with. But eventually um, they come to terms with it because it's a security offering. In the most part, and they're used to that. Um, actually, the the first time I started this, I started reaching out to to fund managers, and the the positive feedback and response that I got was actually pretty pretty wild, and I wasn't expecting it. Um, the numbers, if I'm remembering correctly, I reached out to uh, sixteen fund managers off the bat, and I wanted to, I didn't want to blast emails to thousands of people because we also want to to uh, put investments on our platform that we stand behind, you know? So I reached out to 16 and nine fund managers uh, responded positively and were interested and wanted to get involved. Um, so that's just an idea of how people are getting comfortable with it and are interested in it. So the main, the main concern, going back to your actual question, is getting the funding for those sponsors. Uh, so in full transparency, we have about 10 listings right now on our platform. They're all in the test of water space. So nothing's in, in an active fundraise status right now. Um, we're waiting. So test of water space, meaning we have the listing page on our website um, and investors can go in and register their interest. So that, that's the phase that we have right now, but we're not in an active issuance phase for, for any of the listings right now. 
Yeah, I, I think initial adoption is going to be just challenging, right? Um, whatever cliche you want to throw out there, the brain damage, the heartburn, just like all the work that's going to go into it. But I agree with you. I think once you start seeing the value proposition for GP sponsors, as well as the LP side, it will pick up. I know from my perspective, and we've talked about this, and I've been doing some homework on it for, from, from the real estate perspective, and it's maybe a little bit unique just because leverage is such a key component to all real estate investments. Like I would pull the trigger today working with you all because I think it's a great value proposition to my investors and, and that clearly where the, the, the industry is moving. But working through our financing and trying to get lender sign off on how this all works, I think is the biggest hurdle. Um, right. What are your thoughts there? Or is this a, a consistent feedback you're getting from other real estate sponsors as well? Yeah, so um, I haven't gotten that feedback that often, but we did speak to our lawyers about it. Um, and the, the response is that there needs to be in, in your uh, contracts with the lenders, there needs to be wording around being able to um, transfer ownership, transfer LP ownership to other LPs. Um, right. And that's, that's pretty much the only concern. Uh, I, I don't, I, I haven't gotten into the weeds of commercial lender contracts uh, and I don't know how they're worded, but that is what our lawyers told us. As long as that is the case, then it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. I mean, you need to basically pre-negotiate these transfer rights or the transfer provisions with your lender to, to allow that to occur. And that's where, you know, it might just take some time because existing in place deals might be really hard to move over to your platform, but on a go forward basis, if sponsors and GPs know exactly what they need to put it in there from a verbiage standpoint, right. You know, that's where it might really take off. But I, I think looking back on some of these older transactions, it's, it's going to be a real challenge. Um, so you mentioned some of the things that you were excited about down the line, you know, without you know, giving away the trade secrets, what are some of those things that you guys have in the works that, that you referenced earlier? Yeah. So I'll, I'll preface this by saying they're, they're personal uh, aspirations and it has nothing to do with tokenizer, but uh, use cases for tokenization. So, I, I mean, I talked about uh, carbon credits before. I think that's a great use case. And that, I mean, there's so much hype around this clean Dow project that's launching in four days. Uh, they already raised $18 million, I think, and they're, pre-sale uh, fair launch phase, which is an IDO and a, and a liquidity bootstrapping pool. But um, so one of my main, and this actually is, is happening right now, but one of my main uh, aspirations for tokenization is ownership in sports franchises. Uh, I think it's, it's very realistic in my eyes to, to think about, but I think it, it, I don't know if it could ever happen. I think it will, but it might take some time. So um, the way I see it is an, an owner of a, let's just say an NFL franchise, right? We'll, we'll say the Giants because I'm a Giants fan. If uh, <laughs> you too, all right. So if, if John Mary decides um, I'm going to issue 10% of the Giants out to the fan base and, and the, the common man, right? He can 
we will value the giants. Let's say the giants are for ease of ease of reference. We'll say it's $10 billion, right? He can take 10% um, of the giants issue tokens that represent a billion dollars and let investors invest in the giants. And now there's a community of however many people that own 10% of the giants. And with those tokens, there can be perks. Um, like if you, if you're a token holder, you can get 10% off season tickets or 50% off season tickets, or, um, you get a private dinner with Daniel Jones, something like that, but there's benefits for token holders <laughs> or whoever the quarterback is at that time. I don't know if Jones yeah, is sure. going to make it, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good point. Um, <laughs> and to that, there's, there is a, there is a platform or company right now that is doing something similar. It's called Socios and they're. They're built on the uh, the Chili's blockchain, and what they're issuing now is fan tokens. So there's no direct ownership of anything, but they issue tokens that represent. They just call them fan tokens. So right now it's primarily in the uh, European soccer leagues. So you can own a fan token of PSG, uh, Manchester City. There's a lot of them. I'm not gonna say the exact names because I might be wrong. But they are they are moving into the NBA world too. I think they have right now about eight NBA teams signed up. So what what happens is you own a fan token and they just they're speculative in in uh, value. If the team does well, they go up. Um, like after uh, Messi was signed, they increased three hundred percent or something. Um, but as a token holder, you get uh, different perks, as in. Some soccer team I saw a couple months ago, the owners of the tokens were able to name the entrance tunnel. Um, just silly things like that. And you get merchandise. And I think some of them offer discounts on, on tickets to games. So it's happening. Um, that's not direct ownership. And it's not necessarily asset tokenization. But I do see it heading that way. And that's one of my favorite use cases for it. That's pretty cool. I never thought about that before. In terms of adoption here, you've been in this space or you've been aware of this world for a little while now. Right. Are you starting to see, as, as in many things in, in finance and in tech, you know, there's smaller entrepreneurial groups that disintermediate the norm and then the, the big guys try to catch up. Are you starting to see some of the bigger players um, you mentioned bulge bracket banks and investment banks and kind of Wall Street private equity groups. Mm-hmm. Are you starting to see them either adopt this or look at groups like yourselves as potential acquisition and, and kind of take the R&D that you've put into it for their own purposes? Um, so I, I won't say tokenization per se from big banks and bulge bracket banks, but um, we can see that they are getting involved in the cryptocurrency space, right? I think all of them are to a certain extent, all of them have exposure to cryptocurrency in some way, whether it's through Coinbase or um, I don't know, but they do have, they do have exposure to, to cryptocurrency. Uh, tokenization is inevitable for them to get exposure to. Like you said, maybe they do come in uh, by little or uh, I mean, by smaller, companies who have been doing it for a while, like us. Um, Coinbase, I think, is going to get involved in security tokens. That's also a matter of time. I actually read some of their S1, and it's mentioned there. So Coinbase will probably be the first big player or, or name brand that gets involved in the space. 
So as we wrap up here, if, and I want to kind of two-part this question, either as a sponsor or a GP like me, or an investor who's potentially looking at your marketplace as a way to access deals that I originate, what are the right questions that people need to ask when they're talking to a sales rep from a group like yours that is, is pitching this tokenization, either tokenization and or capital raising and or secondary market liquidity? What are the right questions to ask? What are the red flags to be aware of? And, and you know, how would you go about evaluating and diligencing those type of groups? Yeah, so I think the, the main, first we need to establish whether um, the sponsor or prospective issuer is tokenizing existing assets or future assets. So is it an existing fund or are you issuing a new fund that is going to be tokenized? Um, that's the first thing. Existing is a little bit more difficult because you already have LPs. As you can imagine, that's a conversation that you have to have with them. If it's a new, if it's a new fund, then it's easier to wrap your head around and it's easier to figure out because this is it's a it's a new thing. So we're gonna have new LPs potentially, or the same LPs if they want to get involved. So uh, those questions need to be figured out. And then, I mean, the main question really to me, I well, I mean, I'm biased obviously, but I don't see that much downside to it for taking a chance because, in my opinion, there's only there's only upside, right? So this is essentially we're still raising dollars. Everything's denominated in dollars. Once the tokens are issued. The, the sponsor or the, the issuer of the funds or the manager of the fund has dollars. So there's no exposure of them for them to the cryptocurrency space or security token space. Um, it's just that their LP interests are in security tokens. Um, so I think the main questions or the main concerns or the main things that they need to understand is how it'll work for them and their LPs. The other, the other question is if there are transfer, if the, if the ownership interests are transferred between LPs, um, we need to make sure that we know who the third party is. And that is something that also needs to be done because that also has to be an accredited investor because we don't want the, the sponsor getting in trouble for having a non-accredited investor, not, not just the sponsor, but us as well. So those are the main things. Right, because there has to be some kind of, and, and that would be in existence today under the PPM or the operating agreement that the sponsor would have the ability to veto any potential transfer. They're not making any warranties or guarantees on the transferability or not necessarily transferability, but the secondary market option, right? That's, that's going to be a risk that the investor takes or the LP takes. Yeah. And that's going to be, and something to understand it, it, that's going to be a fluid marketplace, right? Depending on, the asset, the performance, the history, whatever that smart contract shows to them, that that's going to be an arm's length transaction that the sponsor has nothing to do with. The market will dictate the pricing there, whether or not there's a haircut or it's par or it's you know above original pricing, et cetera, right? Yeah, exactly. And there are case studies now. There's there are tokenized funds that have seen success. Um, I think that the total market cap of, of token or security tokens, I should say, is just over a billion now, which has crossed that threshold. Um, it's primarily driven by INX Limited, which um, just had their token offering. And then Overstock, so the, the classic overstock.com, they have token, they have tokenized aspects, not the whole company is tokenized. Um, blockchain Capital. 
So that's the venture capital fund that's led by Mike Novogratz and a few other big names, but they have a tokenized aspect as well. So um, another thing to point out is that if you're issuing a new fund or an existing fund, it doesn't have to be 100% tokenized or 100% not tokenized. You can have a tokenized portion of it. Uh, and that's what blockchain capital does. So if I, as a sponsor, I could say, I'm going to allocate 50% 50, 50 of my equity to be tokenized, 50% of the equity to be analog or whatever the term would be. You can have that optionality? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Very cool. So blockchain capital has too. Uh, so they raised... Um, I'm not going to make up the number, but they raised a certain, it was over 10 million from a, a security token issuance. And that's part of their blockchain capital funds. Seth, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, this is a, a space that I've been learning about over the last 12 months, probably. And I think I'm just now starting to understand it. So I appreciate you talking to me every 30 days and helping me hold my hand as I try to understand this world. But I do think it's inevitable. I do think it's the future of alternatives and private equity and where the whole industry is heading. So, you know, kudos to you and the group for putting the foot forward and trying to make something happen in the space. If people are interested in learning more about what, what Tokenizer is doing and or you personally and, and the, the role you're playing within the world, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So the Tokenizer website is tokenizer.cc. Uh, you can also follow us on, on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, it's tokenizer, just uh, T-O-K-E-N-I-Z-E-R. Me personally, it's tokenizer DeFi actually on the, on the Twitter. Um, me personally, my Twitter's Seth underscore Keller one. And I'm mainly talking about cryptocurrency in the cryptocurrency space. I'm dabbling in NFTs now. Um, I also, I do a few other things on the side outside of tokenizer. I work for a, a VC in Africa. Um, and I'm volunteering on the board of directors for a nonprofit organization. So I, I and I also am involved in like just the traditional financial Twitter community. So I'm talking about everything. It's not just tokenization of assets, but that you can find me there and LinkedIn as well if you want to connect. Yeah, that's and that's how we've mostly been interacting is on LinkedIn. Right. So, you know, thank you again for doing this. It's really cool stuff. I think we're all going to be hearing a lot more about it. And you know, one final question. I see you're a Penn State guy. Yeah. You're a Giants fan like me. Yeah. Will Will Penn State win a national championship before the Giants win another Super Bowl? Ooh, uh, yes. I think this. This. I think this. Actually, you know what? Probably not. I say the Giants first. I mean, that's what. That's what. Uh, I'm not going to go off on a huge tangent here, but college football. It's it's tough for. Uh, Smaller, not smaller schools, but not the top four schools to win. The Giants, the Giants can get it together. Yeah, they got <laughs> some work to do, but um, yeah, I agree with you. So, you know, just as a tangent, James Franklin used to coach Vanderbilt, right? I married into a Vanderbilt family. And my brother-in-law played quarterback for them back oh, in wow. the day. And, um, but I agree with you. I think this whole talk about a industry that's changing dramatically, like division one football, everything that's happening in that space, you know, unless you're a perennial top five, top 10 program, it's just going to be cost prohibitive to be competitive, I think. Um, yeah. So, you know, traditional powerhouses like Penn State that have great fan bases, it's, I think it's just still going to be really hard for them. Seth, thanks so much for the time. Enjoyed it. And uh, maybe we'll do a recap in six months and 
figure out everything that we got wrong and we can see what's happening <laughs> yeah, in right. space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. All right. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.